It's Song Talk Radio. Greetings all. It's great to have you back with us. Uh, this is the show for songwriting nerds, where we get into the nitty-gritty technical details of the songwriting process. And don't forget, you can always give us your two cents at the songwriting of your songwriting process at feedback at songtalk.ca. I am Phil Emery. Uh, Neil's off doing something, uh, jamming, I think. Uh, so we are super lucky to have a longtime friend of the show. He was actually one of our first guests when we were back on the radio so long ago. Professional songwriter, one of the Song Studio Workshop Series founders, and host of the Hooks and Ladders podcast. Amongst so many other things, Blair Packham is back here with us. Great to have you with us, Blair. Thank you. Thanks so much, Phil. Great to be here. Always great to be here. Always great to have you. And our guest tonight is multi-award winner, singer-songwriter, Desiree Dorian. Welcome to the show, Desiree. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to meet you both. Great. All right, uh, before we get started, here are some bits of news. We are still accepting entries into our Songwriting Challenge 2023. And that challenge is to write a song in a mode that you are unfamiliar with. And you can get uh, more information on the challenge at our site, songtalk.ca. And there's a link at the top of the page and more information about the challenge and some resources and all that stuff. And, um, you know, of course, uh, mode is so something other than major and minor. So, you know, Dorian or Lydian or one of those. It's a little challenging at first, but uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great experience. And I've actually wound up with something I never would have written otherwise. So it's kind of fun. Now, uh, Blair, um, you're starting to do uh, the Song Studio online. Uh, what is it and when does it start and other good stuff? Well, Song Studio is our week-long uh, workshop that Alistair Bradley and I have been doing for almost 20 years. We, this is year 19. And um, it's a week-long workshop. Uh, used to do it only in July and only in person. Uh, but we decided we, because of the pandemic, we decided we'd do an online version. And then we decided when we went back to doing a live workshop, we'd continue doing the online version because we, uh, we had a greater range. Well, first of all, we could, we could have people from other countries join us, um, without having to fly to Canada. And that, um, you know, obviously it's a money saver for us if it's a mentor and it's a money saver for the participant too. So we're, we're doing an online workshop. We have, um, and you're the first to hear, um, we have a great lineup of, uh, of mentors, uh, who will sit and hear, you know, they'll listen to your songs and, uh, offer constructive criticism and ideas for where they may go. We've got uh, Bob Wiseman joining us, the, the great Bob Wiseman, great singer-songwriter, uh, also former member of Blue Rodeo. Uh, we have uh, Jeremy Fisher, who is a fantastic singer-songwriter, but he's also gone into um, producing a kids' television show, and he's a great teacher as well, and he writes all the music for the kids' show and so forth, but he's had you know records on the radio, and he's a great songwriter. Um, uh, we have Sandy Schofield, who is an in Indigenous uh, singer-songwriter from Vancouver. She's fantastic and beautiful voice. Um, and uh, Jane Sibri, uh, Issa Sibri is how she's sometimes known, is joining us as a mentor as well. And uh, then we have a, a music supervisor coming in and a music publisher. And, you know, it's, it's an information-packed week, October 23rd to 27th uh, via Zoom. But you can find out all the details at songstudio.ca. Awesome. That's sounds like it's going to be an, like a, an amazing experience as it always is. I've known people who've actually done it and they've had a blast. 
and uh, it can be quite intense but i think it's really uh i think it's a really valuable experience um for a lot of people yeah i'm sure there are some people who you know you can't please everybody but uh, (laughs) we certainly seem to please a lot of people we have about a 50 to 60 percent return rate which is kind of amazing so people who have done the workshop before and and before we started doing the zoom thing we did have people coming from singapore uh from vancouver from we have a woman who comes from england she has come 11 years out of the uh out of the 19 we've been doing it and um she and i made an album together because her songs have become so good and i thought i said i'll produce an album for you anytime like just name it so we made a record in dublin in ireland and uh She's fantastic. So, so we we have people from all over the place who seem to really love it. That is awesome. So, songstudio.ca, right? That's right. All right. I want to pick your uh, the folks here's brains about um, something that everyone's can't seem to stop talking about, and that is artificial intelligence. And people are using it. Some people say people have used it for creating music or writing lyrics. Um, Desiree, I want to start off with you. What have you looked into this AI thing? Have you played around with it at all, or do you think it's a bad no. thing? Good thing? <laughs> no, the only artificial intelligence I have is in my own brain. <laughs> ah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, and and actually, I I day job as a lawyer, so I question the legality of the ownership even mm. of of a song if you're using AI. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, wasn't there a ruling in the States that uh, scripts created with AI couldn't be copywritten? I don't know. I haven't looked into yeah. it. I don't, I don't do uh, music law. I'm just thinking that the ownership would be an, an interesting question here in Canada. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Because there's, there's that aspect to Canadian uh, copyright law, the uh, the moral right of authorship. And 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 that's considered, you know, a sacrosanct uh, part of the copyright law, particularly for music. And how do you apply that if there's if it's uh, written by artificial intelligence? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I also just think sure. like your pride. You know, how could you? I mean, I'm a, I'm a singer songwriter, so I actually you know perform the stuff that I write, and I can't imagine sitting up on stage saying you know claiming uh, to have authored something that. Yeah. I, I didn't actually author it just I, I don't know my, my my pride wouldn't allow me to do it <laughs> there are a lot of people with no pride whatsoever when it comes to this stuff and and who say I, I actually saw an argument it was online but it was uh, not an argument but a discussion where uh well no wait wait a second hold on hold on who was it it was Nick Cave who was asked um what about you know the rise of ai what you know why uh, would you use it 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 makes things faster and easier so like you know why wouldn't you use it was what the the questioner said and nick cave's response was fantastic and you can look it up i won't quote it because i don't i don't remember it word for word but basically he said we don't want things faster and easier when it's art you actually want to feel like somebody worked on it you want to feel like their heart and soul went into it you know faster isn't the point turning out more songs that have mm-hmm. no heart why would we want to do that um so uh, and i really thought and he, he was much more eloquent than i am but it was it was a good response yeah it's interesting i've i have played around with it a couple of times i've um my marketing practice everyone's talking about ai 
and I've looked at it for generating copy and the copy is at first looks really good, but turns out to be really soulless and bland. And I don't think that's very good for a product because you need to connect with your, you know, your potential um, customer. Um, I've tried using it for photos and what it does to humans is horrifying. So they kind of look right, but like, like their eyes are sort of in the wrong position. Or they have an extra finger. Yeah. It's really weird. It's really weird. Yeah. So I'm going, well, I don't know if quite yet it's going to be bad. One thing was kind of fun is you can get it to generate random words for you. Yes. And that's a great way of using it as, uh, you know, I think Brian Eno has a card deck. There's lots of different ways that you can get these ideas yeah. together to get yourself out of your brain. So it's just another way of, you know, a random number generator. And it was kind of useful for that. Because it, it was a couple of combinations of words I wouldn't have come up with. Right. I, I used um, uh, a website called lyricstudio.net. Uh, and I paid a subscription for a year. Lyricstudio.net. And it was, uh, and the, it, it, the, the website makes um, suggestions for you for like the next line. You write the first line, it makes a suggestion for the second line, um, et cetera, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't like that suggestion, you go to the next suggestion. And if you don't like that, et cetera. What I found was it was, it was like having a bad co-writer who was, who was relentless. So it's like working in a room with somebody who's not good, but they keep coming up with ideas. And eventually it would, it would like get me going with an idea. Something in your own brain. Yeah. And I would get rid of whatever they had suggested. Then I type something else that I thought was better. And then, it would respond with something that was demonstrably not better and et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, I found it quite helpful and I wrote about three or four songs that way. And then I didn't want to keep paying for it because I wasn't using it as much as I, I should or could, you know, for the money I was spending. Oh yeah. There's lots of tools out there. It's, I guess like anything else, it's, uh, it's how you use them. All right. Now on to our guest. Our guests' uh, awards, uh, many awards, have included a 2014 Juno nomination, six appearances on Canada's top 10, uh, top 100 countries charts, and a Songwriter of the Year award from the Manitoba Country Music Association. She has collaborated with many songwriters, including Doc Walker's Dave Wasalu, and uh, a nurse she has admired since childhood, Crystal Shawanda. Um, her music has captured the attention of some of the largest media outlets in Canada, landing her appearances on Breakfast Television Toronto, all across the CTV network and eTalk. And let's take a listen to her track now. It's when you bring me coffee at 7 a.m. When you make the bed so I can lay down my head It's when you roll your eyes at me after something I said That's how I know, oh When you play our favorite song and we dance in the living room It's when you call me outside to look up at the moon And it's the way you hold me when I'm feeling out of tune That's how I know
day of work Bring me a glass of wine to soften the hurt So I smell you on me after wearing your shirt That's how I know Awesome tune. Awesome tune. So what Thank is, you. now what is your process as a songwriter? Are you a, a music first, lyrics first person? Usually lyrics. Um, I can barely mm. play the guitar, like barely. And um, when I, I released my very first album when I was 14 years old. And when I wrote that album, I couldn't play any instrument whatsoever. And so I would literally just write lyrics in my head and come up with a melody in my head and then take that to a producer, sing the song a cappella, and get them to figure it out. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, as I've, as I've gotten older, um, I've started to mess around on the guitar a little bit. And I mean, I, I'm by no means, um, I can play like the basic chords. And so if I'm, if I'm writing a song solo, <laughs> you could almost always tell because it's a very basic melody. Um, yeah. So it just, it just kind of differs. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be right. Like I drive nonstop. I live in the country and I'm driving all the time. And I, I put on about 40, 50, I think this year I'm close to 60,000 kilometers a year. And, um, so I drive, I write a lot in my car and, uh, you know, ideas will come to me in my car and I'll just write the lyrics down or get them in a voice note. And then wherever, whenever I get to my destination, I'll try and put the music to what I'm thinking and, and structure it up a bit more and, and uh, you know, make it make it make sense. But um, it's just different every time for me. Are you, um, this sounds like a, a very specific question, but in the car, do you have a radio on or is it just silent? It depends because I drive so much. So sometimes, sometimes I don't want to hear noise um, and sometimes I, I ride in silence, but other times. I'll listen to, um, you know, an audio book or something. And then other times I want to rock out and I want to sing at the top of my lungs and, you know, put on a concert in the car, <laughs> so to speak. So yeah, it just, it just depends. 
on my mood. I, I write in the car too sometimes, and I find it's fantastic because you can get into this weird sort of Zen state as you as the miles go by, and then and I don't have the radio on, and then and then just something will come to me, and I find I don't know if you share this, but I find that if I can remember the song the next day, I, I'll make a voice note of it anyway, just in case. But um, but if I can remember it, to me, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. You know, it means it means it's memorable, at least to mm-hmm. me anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Writing the car is pretty cool because really there's there's not much else to do. So you still no, focus. No, there on isn't. It. Yeah. 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 Are yeah, I've written a lot of songs on the car. Are you uh, capturing like your ideas, like sort of general ideas? Um, like, do you, like, do you have sort of like a, a, a hook book, I think, as people call them or. Um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I if I hear a, a sentence or if I hear. Um, like, for instance, on, on this last album, I wrote a song with Steve Mitchell called Love You to Death. And I came to him with that title when we wrote it. Um, and that's all I had, but I, I came up, I, I was watching the show intervention and, um, which is a show about addiction, if you've seen it. And, uh, you know, these, these people were confronting their loved one who was struggling with an addiction. And one of the family members said, I can't love you to death. And I thought that's kind of a cool way to put a boundary on somebody that like, you know, normally we say, I love you to death, you know, till death do us mm. part or whatever, but it was, it was kind of a really neat way to say to someone who's struggling with an addiction, I cannot love you to death. I don't have it in me to do that. And, um, and that was, we built the song around that one sentence. Um, yeah. And then one day I was right, I was cutting the grass and I was thinking about, um, this is a different song altogether. I was thinking about, uh, George Floyd who had just, um, been killed in the States and, uh, you know, how that really triggered the black lives matter movement and, uh, and I was thinking about Trump and I was thinking about how, you know, metaphorically, he's like a gun, like he's like a, an explosive device. Mm. And, and then I thought, I wonder what president he is. Like what, what's his number? And I looked him up and it turned out that he was the 45th president of the United States. And so I thought Colt 45 we could, I could write a song that is metaphorically connected to Trump using Colt 45, using a gun as a metaphor. Don't mention him at all in the song, but that song is about him. The entire song is about him. And, uh, and I, I co-wrote that with Steve Mitchell as well. And, um, yeah, there's some cool ones that, that, you know, it's just, it doesn't, I I don't know where, um, it, it, for me, I, I'm an overthinker. I've been told I'm an overthinker. And so when I drive or if I'm on my lawnmower, or if I'm out for a run, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking around and, and then I probably have a touch of ADHD. And so, um, you know, my, my brain is constantly firing on all cylinders and it's tough to shut off sometimes, but it's been a blessing and a curse. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Uh, Elvis Costello says um, that, it's a curse. It's a blessing and a curse, the songwriter thing, because you're having a conversation with somebody and you're thinking, oh, this person's really interesting. Wait, what did you say? Hold on. And then you have to yeah. pull out your, your notebook or whatever, yeah. or, or go excuse yourself and record it into your phone. Uh, but so it's a, it's a, it's the blessing and a curse, I would say. And mm-hmm. I've talked to songwriters who have tried to retire 
from songwriting because <laughs> they, got, they got bitter about the music business and they thought, ah, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not going to write any songs. And they couldn't stop. They still had a notebook, even though they knew they were never going to use it or probably never going to use it. It's a good habit to actually develop is to actually grab these ideas and put them into a notebook. And it's something I've never actually done. And I actually do. Really? Keep, I keep really? all my stuff. Yeah. Like I, I think I counted up. I have 115 songs that I've written over my life. They're all in my head. And so if I ever fall down and hit my head, I'm screwed. Um, yeah. that's, oh my goodness. That's, that Blair, that's why I've been saying I'm trying to record everything because. Yeah. You're trying to get the catalog out of your head. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, I never got into um, the habit of writing anything down on paper. And when I was doing, when I was playing guitar for other people, I found out if I wrote down the chords on a piece of paper, I couldn't remember them. That's interesting. interesting. But wow. if we if we did it audible, it'd be like two times through, and I knew the whole song. So it was so weird. It was going like, so my brain just goes, ah, it's written down. I'm not going to bother with it. So. Yeah, it's important to understand. Yeah, it's important to understand how you work, I guess. And I think so. Yeah, I, th I think it is good. It's good to uh, to uh, self analysis. I think is useful to to a point. Sometimes to a huge point, to a, a great degree. Yeah, uh, Desiree, what's um what is your editing process like with your songs when you're um because you're working with other people? Are you are you um are you taking them your songs back and then going through the wordplay because you're a lot of your your rhymes are very tight and and mm -hmm. kind of uh sort of very nicely um constructed and those rhymes and those lines and those readings seem natural but often they're the you know result of a lot of um, futzing about and tweaking and stuff so what is your editing process like? yeah it depends on who i'm writing with um, I'll always ask that in a co-write, just out of respect for the co-writer. Like, um, you know, are they okay doing edits after? Do they want to make sure we get it down? Like, is this final form? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll always ask. Uh, and then sometimes more often, like almost always, whoever I'm co-writing with will say, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's serve the song and make the song as, as best as we can. Um, and if we need to edit it after, then let's do that. And and I personally try and do that too, to keep an open mind about, you know, what is in the best interest of that song. Um, right. And then sometimes, you know, if I'm, if I'm writing for radio, like if I'm looking for a commercial release, uh, that's very different than writing, um, you know, something super personal. And, uh, you know, I mean, you really have to serve the song in a commercial, in, 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 in a commercial write, if you're, you're writing for radio and, you know, often, often commercial songs are the songs that I feel the least connected to, admittedly. How do you um, approach those two things? Like, you know, between your personal songs and, and sort of writing for radio specifically, because I think a lot of people just, they kind of write, you know, and whereas you're, if you're consciously writing for radio, how do you approach that differently than what you would do normally? I try and, I try and disconnect myself from what I think will do well commercially because I'm also a business person. Right. And so I, I want to make a living at what I'm doing for as long as I possibly can. And, you know, and it's tough sometimes because sometimes you don't really feel particularly connected to that song. Um, but I, I, I just try and do my best to disconnect my own personal feelings from it. in in the sense of like, you know, maybe, maybe I don't really like that melody or maybe I'm not really attached to it, but I know that 
it'll resonate with a particular audience or, or whatever the case might be. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my process, but then sometimes like love you to death, for instance, uh, that is not a commercial country radio song. Mm. And, um, and I actually made the decision to release it as a, as a, the lead single off my most recent album, because I just, I believed in the message so much of, you know, imposing boundaries on somebody struggling with an addiction. And I think, especially coming out of COVID, like that was something that, um, at least in the circles I've been in that, you know, people are talking a lot about in terms of, you know, having sat at home for two and a half years and, you know, drinking wine and all of a sudden people are, are you know, it, it affected people differently. And so yeah. I thought flowing from the, um, flowing from that, that this was a, a topic that might be safe at, at country radio, uh, mainstream country radio. And surprisingly, that song is one of the highest streamed uh, songs off my, off my album. And, um, so sometimes I'll break my own rules and just, if I really, really believe in, in a, in a song, I'll go ahead and release it. And I mean, there's, it's, it's always a risk, but that one, that one in, in particular paid off. Are you well, maybe approaching... that's... Sorry, sorry, Phil. Oh, well, I was just going to say, maybe that's, um, that's instructive though for you because maybe the reason it's connecting with people is because it's connecting with you and it's it's a real thing for you rather than an exercise or expressing something that's more commonplace maybe you know i'm i'm just saying i'm throwing that out as devil's yeah. advocate mm. you know yeah are you approaching the melodies differently like um when you're going for uh radio is there a different sort of approach to um to the melodies or yeah like country radio, I always feel the melodies, like it needs to be faster. It needs to be more upbeat. Um, typically is, is what I'm hearing on, on country radio. Um, so yeah, like, like, uh, that's how I know that when we knew we, we wanted a, a single, um, I knew that I wanted it to be a country release, um, and, or, or one of the first or second single release off of the album. And so when Tyler and I sat down to write it, I knew that I wanted it to be upbeat. Like I was looking specifically to write an upbeat song. And so, um, you know, in the course of talking that out in the co-write, that was, that was how we arrived at, at, okay, well, let's move forward with this idea. And, and that's how I know was the end result of that. So how did you edit the process so that it would work on radio? I just, because I, I find that approach really um, fascinating that, um, you know, to sort of produce a product, which is what you're doing, which of course, as anyone who produces, you're producing a product, but how, like, are you, are you constructing the words in a certain way or the strong, the song structure in a certain way? Okay. This is going to be embarrassing to admit this, but if you listen to, <laughs> if you listen to mainstream country radio, okay, let me, let me back up. When I first fell in love with country music, I was, you know, five, six years old. And I grew up listening to Kitty Wells and, um, you know, Charlie Pride and Waylon Jennings and Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton. And some of the um, people that I looked up to that were rebels back then. And, and they wrote about real topics. You know, when you think about Code of Many Colors or um, Loretta mm -hmm. Lynn releasing The Pill, uh, like those were real topics of substance. And um, like there was, there was meat in those songs. And I feel like lyrically, 
much of that has been lost in country radio today. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing some of it come back with with the likes of Lainey Wilson, uh, Hardy, Morgan Wallen. Um, but I don't feel like we're hearing that here in Canada as much. And so um, when when I'm writing specifically for radio, I know to keep it fluffy, keep it sweet, right. upbeat. Uh, you know, and I, and I haven't yeah. mastered it. I mean, I, have, I haven't had a top 10 hit in, in Canada. I'm not saying that I, I know the answers to that, but like, that's what I'm hearing. And so that's, that's generally what I'm trying to write for um, yeah. to get airplay, which is embarrassing to admit, but it's the truth. I think, I think it's uh, what a lot of people go through, and I think it's honest of you to say so, and I appreciate mm. candor, actually, myself. I think, uh, good for you. That's, you know, I think, as you say... Good no, for you I, for I think, selling out. No, not at all. I don't see it as a sellout at all. I, as you say, you're a business person, and you want to, you know, you want to maintain your business, and you want to, you know... The, the Getting played on the radio means you can talk to, you're, you're speaking to an audience. You know, you're addressing an audience and and then that audience will come and see you perform. And then, you know, then you'll speak to them then as well. Like it's a means to, to an end as far as I'm concerned. I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That said, it is interesting, the differences between American country and, and Canadian country. And it seems to me, not being an expert at all, but it seems to me that it's always been like that. There's always been a divide. Uh, and, and the Canadian side has always been uh, less in, in an interesting sort of way, less gimmicky sort of, but at the same time, more conservative. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I think so. I yeah. think that's very fair to say. Yeah. 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 I was, um, it, it, it doesn't seem to be as much reliant on the song factory aspect of Nashville. Like, you know, there are more writers across Canada who, you know, work together regularly and get on the radio and stuff, but they're not all concentrated in this one area working to pump out songs all day and all night. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny cause you know, you go to Nashville and, and a lot of the people that you're writing with are Canadian. I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but it, you know, we, when you when you talk about having a means to an end, I mean, I'm not always a sellout. I will say that, um, you know, as an Indigenous artist, there are things that I write about in the country genre that don't sit in the mainstream genre because of my identity, you know. And yeah. so often, um, you know, if I'm on tour and if I'm traveling in one of the more conservative provinces in in the country um i'm sometimes nervous to be honest about sharing who i am and sharing uh you know my for instance i've got a song called break the chain and that song is about i co-wrote that with christopher gaffney and that song is about you know i i always introduce it as talking about my grandmother as a residential school survivor my dad being a day school survivor and then me being the first generation on the paternal side of my family to not have attended have to to not have had to attend a church government run school. And a lot of times, you know, when people think about the residential school era or even the day school era, they think that that was hundreds of years ago. Mm. And, and then, and then I'm sitting there right in front of them and I'm telling them I'm the first generation. I'm not even 40 years old. And, and then I sing this song and I talk about being a mother, you know, and I talk about, um, you know, I have two, two daughters, Grace and Natalie, who are 12 and nine years old. And, and I talk about, you know, how, if, if you're a parent, you just want your kids to have a better life than the one you had. 
or the one that your dad or, or mom had, or the one that your grandparents had. I mean, that's, that's what we all work for is, is the evolution of our generation. And, and then I sing this song called Break the Chain about my daughters breaking the chain of intergenerational trauma. And, right. and I've taken that risk in the more conservative provinces on tour. And I've had some really silly, interesting discussions after shows with folks who are not very educated and are, and are fairly ignorant. But what I've managed to do by being, allowing myself to be vulnerable and allowing myself to be personal is I've managed to put a human face to um, some of the questions that they might have about what it means to be Indigenous and what kind of a relationship we want with Indigenous people in Canada. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, when you, uh, long story short, long way of saying, when you, when you talk about having a means to an end, releasing the, the, those fluffy songs allows me to get in front of these conservative audiences mm. to, to talk and sing about the stuff that I really want to talk and sing about and maybe yeah. change some minds and change some hearts along the way. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I was getting at is, is I don't see yeah. it as a sellout. I know why you would say that and I get it, but I, I don't see it as a sellout because I think it's, I think that thing you just described is more important than worrying about like as long as you still like the songs, the fluffy ones, you know, mm. uh, yeah. uh, you know, you know, as long as you still like them, even if you don't feel as close to them, doesn't mean you're disowning them. That's not, you know, that's no. not the same thing. So yeah. I think it's, I think it's honest. And every, every songwriter, as you know, has songs of theirs that they don't like as much. And yet there are people in your audience who are like, Oh, would you play that one? And you think, Oh, do I have yeah. to, you yeah. know, yeah. Everybody, everybody does that. And, you know, there are many songwriters who have huge hit records who are then saddled with that for the rest of their lives and they don't like it at all. But, oh, you know, mm -hmm. I think, I think any success you have is really good. And, and, uh, uh, so yeah, anyway, I'm, yeah, I don't think it's selling out. That's all. That's the final word. Yeah. Well, final think, word. but also, you know, when you are wanting to be a songwriter or a musician or an artist of some sort, you are a producer, not the producer in terms of a music producer, but you produce things that people are going to exchange for money, you know? And it's like someone who makes lasagna and sells it. You have to make lasagna. People say, I like lasagna, here's two bucks. So you are making something that people want to consume and trade for money if, that's, if you want to make this more than just, just um, a, a loving hobby. And... There's nothing wrong with that, and maybe your maybe your clientele is is very small and very niche. And with the internet, you can do that to a certain extent. But I don't think there's anything wrong with actually thinking, okay, I'm going to produce something that people are going to want to consume, because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just crazy person yelling on the corner, you know, which isn't yeah. as much, yeah, right. which which isn't as re resounding as as much you can. What's um. <laughs> you've done a lot of co-writes do you have any sort of uh, suggestions for people getting wanting to get into doing co-writes maybe stuff they should watch out for or things they should maybe talk about before they start oh gosh I have how do you so find a co-writer yeah <laughs> yeah okay so i've been really really lucky to work with some incredible producers like um the first uh fellow that i worked with was the late craig fotheringham uh in winnipeg manitoba he produced my very first album when I was 14 years old. And I, I grew up in Dauphin, which is four and a half, four hours um, north of Winnipeg. And 
I actually, my mom was a single mom. She didn't have the means to drive me to the, to the city every weekend. And so I would actually hop the Greyhound bus at 12, 13 years old. Craig would pick me up at the bus depot and we'd go to work in the studio. And um, that guy, you know, he probably should have taken writing credits on that first album because he did help make some edits of the stuff. But he probably knew that this, the album wouldn't be very, very successful anyways, commercially. And he, he didn't care too much. But he was so kind and gracious to me. And the way that he treated me taught me a lot about how to treat other people as I navigated my way as a young person, you know, coming up in, in this, in this industry. And then, um, you know, the second producer that I worked with Aaron Chatterbaity, he was, uh, a really, I loved working with him. He was such a good writer, songwriter. And, um, he was my very first co-write actually. And so he connected me with other writers, uh, through the production process. Um, and then Chris Bergaffney, who's, who's done the last three albums, um, we've co-written, I don't know how many songs together, but in the course of experiencing those co-writes with people who are safe people for me, I learned that um, to be open-minded, to not be overly pushy, like, you know, don't marry yourself to every single idea that you have, be open to, to change throughout the process of, of a collab. And then in the course of, of co-writing with just the producers that I'd worked with and the folks that they connected me with, I built the confidence enough in myself as a, as a writer to then approach other writers um, that, that were on my radar. So, you know, Crystal Shawanda um, is Canada's like most successful Indigenous country artist, probably of all time. And she uh, was somebody that I looked up to as a teenager. And, um, you know, she was the only brown face on TV, really, on CMT. And I just thought like, wow, like here's this woman singing duets with Reba McIntyre and just like doing incredible things. And I'd, I'd wanted to write with her for years, but I didn't have the confidence in myself or my ability. And I finally reached out to her and I just started, and I started doing that like with Dave Wazlu, you know, Doc Walker's a band I've been, I've looked up to for a long time as well. And um, I just started just throwing caution to the wind and, and giving myself permission to take a risk and, and asking people. But in the course of doing that, knowing, knowing your lane, you know, I knew when I sat down with Crystal Shawanda that I was the junior artist in that room. And so I'm not going to her to bilk her ideas. I'm coming to her with ideas of my own yeah. and, and hooks and titles and, and, you know, maybe some, maybe some rhymes or some lyrics. Like I'm not going to her to say, Hey, Crystal, uh, what, what have you got? What do you got up your sleeve today? And, you know, I'm coming in prepared and I'm going in into work and to share what I've got in my brain. Um, and I did the same thing with Dave. And I find when you're, when you're working with more senior uh, writers that they have a bit more respect for you if you go in prepared and if you go in uh, with a bit of humility. And that's the that's one of those you know principles of Nashville co-writing is writing up, you know, writing with somebody who's uh, got more going on than you do, who maybe has a publishing deal, a record deal, uh, you know, who's a star or you know whatever. Um, but you you try and do that so that they can sort of pull you up. But you got to you got to do your thing, and as you say, mm -hmm. come prepared, um, and you know, and show up with some ideas, and and hopefully they'll like those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember, I remember, 
Is there also a problem with the understanding that if they don't happen to like your one idea, that doesn't mean you never get to use that idea again. You just don't use that idea with them. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard a great story that I'll tell very quickly about um, uh, uh, Mark Hudson, who was uh, writing, um, who was, had an appointment to write with Aerosmith. And he'd had some hit records, but never at the level of this is the newly reconstituted Aerosmith from like 20 years ago, who, you know, who were really hot. So he, uh, Steve Perry and Joe, or Steve uh, Tyler and Joe Perry said, uh, what have you got? And so he had prepared some ideas for Aerosmith and he had things that sounded kind of like Steve Tyler. He, he had, you know, one that went, you know, with a big <laughs> guitar and so forth. And, and Steve Tyler was like, no, what else have you got? So he goes through two more ideas and they don't like them. And they're all like, and uh, then he said, they, they say, what else have you got? And he had nothing else prepared. So he played them the song he had just finished writing himself that he happened to love. And it was a song, and this is, you know, further to what you were saying earlier about, about, you know, a song you feel close to. He wasn't prepared to share that because he didn't think they'd like it because it was personal. And he started singing, there's something wrong in the world today. I don't know what it is. Something that ain't right. And it's, it's living on the edge, uh, you know, and Steve Tyler at the end of the song goes that I'll take that. Okay. And, and Mark Hudson thought, well, I've already written that, <laughs> but he, he decided that he would rather cut in Aerosmith, you know, and make it a three-way song instead of, you know, just keeping it to himself and not having a hit with it. And of course he had a huge hit and he was not resentful at all, even though he told the story for years afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When you, you mentioned that you approach these songwriters, like how, how do you do that? How do you find them? How do you get yeah. in touch? Okay. So... My very first writing trip to Nashville, Chris um, Bergaffney was producing my record and he was gracious enough to connect me with a bunch of his contacts and set me up with some rights. And, um, and yeah, and so we were talking before the show today about, you know, not researching people. I made the mistake in that very first trip to research who I was writing with. And the very first day I was on Music Row and I knew that I was going in to write with a guy who had a hit with Tim McGraw and some of the biggest names in country music. And I was scared shitless and it affected my creative process. And I, I didn't find that that was a, um, like I didn't come with my best self because I was too nervous and anxious. And so that experience taught me do not research anybody because their achievements are going to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> mm. And, and at least for me, I mean, maybe other people can put on a braver face than I could, but um, it just, it, it messed with me. Um, but Crystal, Crystal and I are Facebook friends and I've opened for her a few, I had opened for her a couple of times and shared a stage with her a couple of times. And um, I always just kind of wanted to respect her space though, you know, and not, um, like not step on, on her toes or try to, I didn't want her to feel like I was trying to ride her coattails um, because she is somebody that I really respect and, and admire. And, and then I thought, you know what, I can just, I could just tell her that I could just tell her that, that, you know, I'd love to, to write with her. And so um, I was down in, I had reached out to her. I was, I was heading down to New Orleans for Folk Alliance International. And then I, after that, I was renting a car and driving North to Nashville. And, uh, 
I said, listen, I'm going to be in Nashville in January. I'd love to sit down and, and do a write with you. Um, I know that, you know, we've shared a stage a few times and please don't feel like you owe me anything. I just really admire you and I love what you do. And it would be amazing if we could, if we could write a song together. And like within 10 minutes, she messaged me back and she's like, absolutely. Are you crazy? She goes, yes, come over to my house in Nashville. And so I, I showed up at her house and, you know, I met her hubby and her baby girl. And, um, we went up to her studio and, and three hours later, we had a song called sometimes I drink, which to date is probably my most commercially successful song written by two indigenous women. Uh, it sat on the country music charts for 16, um, for 16 weeks in Canada and went, went top 10 on iTunes, uh, across all genres, um, in its first week of release. It was, a really big song for me. And I'm super, super thankful for Crystal for sitting down with me to, to do that one. And then, you know, Dave Wosley was a different, a different approach um, because he's from Manitoba and we were um, at the after party one night for the Manitoba country music awards. And we were standing in a circle and I looked over and there's Dave standing right next to me and he was drinking beer. And uh, I had made a, maybe one or two trips too many to the hospitality bar and I had a little bit of liquid courage. And I just said, hey, Dave, I said, you know I'd love to write with you sometime. And he, he is like the most humble person ever. And he just said, absolutely, let's do it. And then uh, we tried to connect our schedules. They didn't align for probably a year and a half or something. And then during uh, the pandemic in August of 21, we finally made time and we booked a date to, to get uh, Wouldn't That Be Fun done. And we wrote that song initially. It was supposed to be a song just for me. Um, but then when we, when we wrote it, as we, as we went through our editing process and we rewrote it a couple of times, actually, um, that song was originally called and then some, and then it turned out to, wouldn't that be fun? And, um, and it, we, it, it came about where we realized like, this is a duet, this isn't just a, a Desiree song. And so then I'm thinking, Oh God, I really want Dave to sing this with me, but how the hell am I going to ask him to do that? And so it, at the end of the co-write, I just blurted it out and I just said, Hey Dave, I said, I think your voice would be really amazing on this track. Would you be willing to do that? And he goes, of course. Yeah, let's do it. And so, um, yeah. And that song turned out to be one of my highest, highest streaming singles too. It was, uh, pretty cool. Wow. I, I, I'm curious, um, when you're co-writing with these folks, uh, you're sitting with a guitar, they have a guitar, you're sitting just singing stuff like nose to nose kind of. Yeah, we did. Uh, both of those rights were face to face. Um, I had a guitar with in the right with Dave, but Dave is like a great player. So he was the lead guitar person in that right. And then Crystal, uh, when I was traveling, um, I didn't have a guitar at all. And so she was the lone person holding the guitar in that room. And um, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of writing these days for a lot of people, depending on the genre, of course, is, you know, with what I call laptop producers, where they, they you know, they'll, the, a producer with a laptop, you know, with uh, will uh, will write a music track and then they'll come to you and ask you to top line on it. And, um, you know, and they're, what I mean by that listener is uh, sing the lyric and like make up the lyric and melody, which to me is the song, by the way, the lyric and the melody is the song, the backing track isn't because I can't sing a drum beat that you'll, you know, you know what I mean? Like boom, ba, boom, boom, ba. That could be a million songs. But if I sing yesterday, you instantly know what song that is. Um, and 
so so uh, for me, it's, it always strikes me that the top liner gets short shrift in that equation. But it doesn't matter. I'm not going to change the world. The uh, that's the way a lot of songwriting is going. And I'm wondering if you've done any of that. No. Uh, writing to laptop no. stuff. You haven't yet. No. Yeah. yeah. No. No. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'd be able to. In all honesty, like I, I feel like. And maybe it's a country thing. I don't know, but I just feel like, um, especially so, especially if I'm not writing for radio, like if, if I'm really trying not to be fluffy and I'm currently writing, this is the headspace that I'm in and, I'm, and where I'm coming from right now today is that I'm currently writing for a folk roots Americana project. Um, and which is like really raw and stripped down and vulnerable and emotional. And I just feel like you have to put lyrics first in that kind of a, in that kind of a project. Yeah. I tend to agree. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I, I, I have certainly sung to track. I mean, I've certainly sung to tracks that I have made myself where I didn't have an idea. Like I, I have done a lot of writing for television and, uh, theme songs for animation and stuff like that. So I might not have, have written the words yet. And like, I might be just, dry of ideas so i i think i gotta do something this is due on tuesday so i come up with some chords and i come up with a track that sounds suitable and then i think okay well now i gotta sing something over top of this and and so i've sung to it and it's worked and i've actually really enjoyed it having never really done it before yeah but it's it's a weird way of writing because i start with words too and and then i find the way the words sing and then that turns into a song but in in the way the other way i'm describing it's it's a it's a whole other mind-bending experience. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Well, that's I, how I, I do write enjoy too. it. I mean, I, I like I lyrics are the last thing I write. Really? Right. Often, Interesting. Yeah. Oh my fact, goodness. The whole song is done, and I've got the melody, and very often the melody is is completely done, but it's the lyrics because. That's wow. so interesting. That's not my strength. My strength is, uh, I worked with a drummer, and and he wrote this heartbreaking song. And I said, how did you write this? He said, oh, I just, you know, sat down over lunch. He was like a business guy. He sat down over his lunch hour and he wrote this out. But it's about like, you know, um, heartbreaking and, and being like sort of ignored by your partner. It has this beautiful line saying, um, you see me falling and you check the time, which I just think is just an emotional, you know. That's a great line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, he met his wife in high school. He's never gone out with another woman. They had a fantastic relationship. They've had a, a perfect loving relationship with three, with like two kids. And I'm just going like, where the heck are you getting this stuff from? But he can just like, he sits down and he just cranks it up. But I can't do wow. that. So I guess it's all about having mm-hmm. different strengths, you know? And um, now, yeah. Back when I, when I was married, uh, I I found myself writing a number of songs about marriages breaking up, which I thought was really weird at the time. And then, of course, it happened, right? But I came up with ideas that I still carry around today, thinking that that could be a good song. And that's you know, I I broke up with with my with the mother of my child, like you know, fifteen years ago. Um, but I still carry around these ideas that I think are are you know are good ideas in and of themselves even though you know at the time they were fiction do you Desiree do you ever do that do you, like first of all do you hang on to ideas for a long time or is there a stale date and you just think yeah no I don't want to work on that no I don't I, and I don't use um 
I use pen and paper. I still use pen and paper. For me, there's something really important about feeling the words on a page. Yeah. And and I don't erase anything and I journal a lot. And so mm. sometimes if I'm if I'm if I'm in a rut, I'll even go back to my journals and, and look at, you know, where what was I right or what was I talking about? Where was I emotionally uh during that time to try and instill ideas in myself to to go forward? Like if I've got an important co-write coming up where I want to go prepared with some ideas, I'll go back to those journals and and look through, okay, what what were you feeling, you know, at that moment in time or, you know, in that space that you were in? Um, and I don't delete anything like it, it, nothing gets erased or crossed out. And I find that when I've written with folks on a laptop, backspace is used all the time and yeah. you're just erasing gold because, you know, you don't know what, but what can come from those ideas that, that culminated in that session. Yeah, no, it's really true. I, I wrote with Alanis Morissette and, uh, she recorded everything on her work tapes and, uh, and and she wouldn't she'd never go back she never erased even on like this is back in cassette days she would never mm -hmm. go back she just kept it all and she kept it all she almost had the machine running from the time she walked in the door and you know mm -hmm. just so in case anything happened she'd have it there and you know mm -hmm. nine times out of ten something doesn't happen but that one time you know she was prepared she had it and i think i think you're right about writing on a computer although i do it i you know i also do pen and paper I think writing with pen and paper is way better because even if you stroke a line through a, a line, you ha still have it there. You can still see it and mm -hmm. you can go back if you need to. I think it's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the journaling process is a, is a great habit for any songwriter to get into. Um, it's one I've never mm -hmm. actually managed to get into myself, but um, uh, it certainly seems to to work. And I know they always said Sting had a huge book of of phrases and words that he'd carry around. And when they were working on stuff, he would just sort of open it up and, you know, find his, find the stuff that kind of worked. Um, yeah, it's it, it's all about the process. And it's, it's so fascinating seeing everyone's different um, version. And it was fun watching um, uh, Get Back and seeing, you know, Paul McCartney's process of yeah. you know, writing Get Back, you know, which is, uh, so it's, it's fascinating stuff. Desiree, what's coming up uh, next for you? I am heading to the National Music Center to mentor uh, for, I think it's the Oshkotino. I'm not getting the pronunciation right, and I'm embarrassed to say that, but um, it's a an artist development program that I'm mentoring at uh, in a couple of weeks. And then I head to the Canadian Country Music Week, and then I come home for a few days to spend uh, three nights with my girls. And then I hit the road for another eight nights on tour uh, at the end of September. Um, yeah, and then the Manitoba Country Music Awards in November. And like I said, I'm currently writing for my next that's, album. Wow, that's great. <laughs> What's the next that album? <laughs> Hoping to release it in uh, June next year. That's so awesome. great to be that busy. I think that's that's fantastic. Amazing, yeah. Thank you. I think it's that's everybody's every songwriter's dream is to be that busy, but so often <laughs> we just have to work all day. Yeah. Well, I hear the band. I think that means they want to go home. So that means that's all the time we have here on Song Talk Radio. Ms. Ray, how can people get more of you? I'm on Facebook at Desiree Dorian, TikTok at the Desiree Dorian, Instagram at Desiree Dorian, and of course my website, DesireeDorian.com. 
Could you spell the last, or actually spell the whole name if you could? D-E-S-I-R-E-E-D-O-R-I-O-N. Fantastic. And don't forget, we want to hear from you on any subject, so send us an email at feedback at songtalk.ca. You can find the links to all the products, books, and whatnot we talk about here on the show on the resources page. And no matter if you happen to be in the Toronto, Ontario area or anywhere else around the world, why not join us for the next Song Talk Radio Songwriters Meetup? Bit of a mouthful. It happens online via Zoom and locally in Toronto and soon St. John's, Newfoundland. It's where you can network with other songwriters and get insightful feedback on your works in progress. It's free to join and free to attend. A blast each and every time. Stop by the website at songtalk.ca for the link and for the info. Um, Desiree, what's your favorite social media channel? Uh, in- Instagram. Ah, Instagram. And Blair, how can people get more of you? Pretty much the same way you would get in touch with Desiree, except you change the name to Blair Packham. But, uh, you know, kind of the same thing, BlairPackham.com. Um, and, yeah, B-L-A-I-R-P-A-C-K-H-A-M. And I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and I'm pretty easy to find. But check out Song Studio, songstudio.ca. That's my workshop, and I'm very Absolutely. proud of the work we do. Absolutely. You can get more of Neil at neilmody.com and more of me at philemory.ca. And stop by the website at songtalk.ca to browse past shows and find out how you could be a guest on the show. Thanks for listening, everyone, and keep on 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 writing. writing. Maybe I'll fix that in post. It's okay. (laughs) 